And I feel so privileged that I was in the room when the first AI promotional calendar was created. It really is the future of promotional planning for the food industry. Well, hello there. This is Milena, and welcome to another episode of Scientific Mavericks podcast. This episode is a part of business focus series where we bring to you business leaders and experts in the retail space. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Hybrid. Hybrid is the pioneer of hyperlocal retailing, combining artificial intelligence, operations research, and human-centered design models to help CPGs and retailers generate an increased return on physical retail space investment. And today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Melinda Wienand, a senior leader in the fast-moving consumer goods industry. Mel has always had a passion for partnering with sales around some complex analytical problems, and that led her to spending over half of her career in the revenue management field. So we'll kick this episode off with Mel sharing what that journey has been like. I've always had a scientific mind and I've always wanted to analyze the facts and let logic prevail. And at the same time, I'm very practical. So I want to see the business outcome, not just a theory. I think when I was back at school, back in ancient history, if there was a field called data science, I would have done a degree in data science. But instead, there wasn't one of those available. So I actually studied food science. Where that's taken me, I've never actually worked as a food technologist or a food scientist, but I've always worked in the food industry and I've always been in very analytical roles. Given your wealth of experience, Mel, with fast-moving consumer good companies and retailers, what are the most important trends you are observing in retail space and how do you estimate the industry will evolve in the next five to ten years? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question and there's probably two ways to look at that. The first would be, how's the business going to make different decisions? And there, I think capital expenditure is an area that's going to transform. In the food industry, historically, a lot of the capital expenditure has been in manufacturing and logistics, building factories, building automation in factories, etc. But I think there's going to be a bit of an evolution towards capital expenditure in sales and marketing optimization and digitization. And it's a pretty different way to think about capital expenditure because you can't just spend $50 million on a factory and the job is done. You actually need to spend a little bit every year and continue to keep your investment alive with the technology. Then if I think about consumer trends and how they're going to evolve the industry, there's probably two that really come to mind. The first one is personalization. So how do we make things exactly how the consumer is looking for it. And online shopping can be a real enabler of this. So we can target range, price, promotions and marketing at consumers in an online environment in an extremely tailored way. And because there's no space constraints in an online store, we can have more flavors, sizes, brands enabled by that online store. And there might be different variables that come into play. So if you want a really specific bespoke handmade flavor of something, then it might take two weeks to come to you rather than the stock standard coming within an hour. Convenience continues to be 
another area that consumers continue to challenge the industry and they always want to spend more of their time on what they choose to spend their time on rather than feeding their family. Given the trends of increased personalization and convenience, as you just mentioned, what would be some tangible recommendations you could give to businesses of any size? Yeah, it's a, it's a continual challenge, isn't it? And there's no way you can deliver on personalization without really strong digitization technology and really understanding your consumer at that granular level. The other thing that's really interesting for this industry to deal with is the cost to serve of online delivery. So it costs a lot more to pick the order and deliver it to the customer to their door. And it has to be the people that make the investment in that technology around the last mile. And that might be a small player today that then makes them big and becomes their point of difference. Uh, if you think about Amazon, when did they start? Maybe 15, 20 years ago. They were small, but they became big because of that ability to be very differentiated from everyone else around them. Absolutely. But another pressing issue that I think is worth talking about is the constraint in online space to pick up and deliver the order. What do you think can be done to address this? I don't think there's an actual solution there yet. So I know there's lots of trials going on with automated warehouses that can pick one container at a time of a certain product, etc. There's also things like drones, which might seem quite futuristic, but are absolutely the kinds of things that we can be trialing to deliver on that need that consumers have. So let's dive a little deeper into challenges that retailers face today. And there are also external events that we cannot discredit, like COVID and market turmoil being the most recent ones. So there is a big discussion going on about what new normal would look like. What is your take on that? Yeah, it's a fascinating time in our career. So if we put aside the humanitarian impact that COVID has had around the world, it's really challenging us to think differently about our business. We don't know what the new normal is when we come out of COVID, but we do know it's going to be a bit tough for consumers for a few years to come and we really need to look at our sales and marketing plans and see whether we need to make any pivots to respond to this challenging time ahead and make sure we're bringing joy through our brands to consumers through this tough time. Well no one can predict the future right but what would be one thing that can help decision makers today to make educated guesses? I think we can look into the data to find some insights and I guess some lead indicators around which categories are going to be more resilient through a tough economic time and where there's actually opportunity for us to deliver to consumer needs even through a tough economic environment. You might be surprised to hear another voice in this podcast. I asked Alvaro Flores, a lead data scientist for Hybrid Promote and occasional co-host for some of our podcasts, to join me today for our conversation with Mel. As our discussion continues and we get to the topic of designing promotional calendars, I thought it would be a great opportunity for them to reflect on their journey with Hybrid Promote together. Is there anything... Mel, that you think that 
will stick after this period in the sense that any consumption patterns that you see that will sustain over time, given that everyone is basically in their houses. And I'm thinking that if that will have an effect in the future demand consumption, and it's not only that we need to adjust our models for this particular period, but rather try to take an approach of how customers can evolve after this. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? There's so many more meals being eaten at home now, and we're starting to learn to enjoy that time at home. And we're seeing a lot of trends around how do we bring that restaurant meal quality to our home, like fake away. So how do you make a fake takeaway meal? So it feels like something a bit special at home, but it's actually something that you've made for yourself. And at least in the medium term, I think it will be that we'll still have a lot of people changing their behavior from what they did before. It might be because they don't have as much money to spend through unemployment or something like that, or it might be that they are concerned about the health of their family and they want to go out less. And if we do this for long enough, it will become our entrenched behaviour that we have a lot more of our meals at home as a society. So would you say that the winners coming out of this crisis would be the companies that can ultimately adopt these new approaches and cater to a new and evolving consumer? Absolutely. Mel, you have worked with both Australian and US businesses. Is the Australian retail market any different from the rest of the world? And if so, how? Yeah, I think we have a fantastic food industry here in Australia. Because the market size is a bit smaller, we have to make decisions sometimes with less resources than what I saw in similar companies in the US and even Europe. This means we have to be really innovative and we really have to adapt to change. And that makes it a really fun place to work. When it comes to adapting and being agile at all levels of decision making, especially now with technological innovation and all the available resources we have, how would you suggest to roll out innovation in the business and manage both external and internal stakeholders? Innovation, especially around business processes and new ways of doing things, it's really important to really put the stakeholders that you have at the heart of your design. We also need to make sure that we're keeping everyone going on the journey with us so that the design doesn't steer away from our stakeholders' business problem. And once things go into market, we need to demonstrate the value that we've delivered, whether it's financial, might be time savings, it might be improved outcomes. We want to make sure we celebrate that success so that the next innovation we make can go a little bit smoother as well. Before any adaptation take place, of course, there is a constant process of evaluation. How do you cope with the always changing approaches to solve potentially the same problem? And how do you evaluate or compare among different approaches? I actually love coming at problems in different ways. I see no need to do the task the same way every time. That's probably to my detriment and I'm never going to be a you know Lean Six Sigma kind of a person because I just cannot do the same thing over and over the same way. But uh, in all seriousness, when I do compare and contrast approaches, what I'm looking to see is have we been more efficient? Have we been able to use more data in our decisions? 
And have we proven ourselves in the market with the approach so that we know that it's the right way forward and to continue to evolve into our business? And now that I have the opportunity to talk about or work together, we collaborated with one of our products, uh, Hivery Promote. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience with Hivery and describe the problem we were trying to tackle? I've been working with Hivery Promote for almost three years now. We first worked together when I was in a head of revenue management role and we were looking for a way to make more robust decisions around our promotional calendar in the grocery channel. As a revenue management team, we were running multiple scenarios that were brainstormed by a group of really smart people in sales and finance and revenue management. But we were always constrained by the man hours available to explore the options and find the right action. The other problem that we had is that any price elasticity modeling that we had done, it became obsolete by the time we had the results. And so we needed to find a way to do two things keep our price elasticity models learning with live data and also allow us to run many, many more scenarios in a much more time efficient way. To give you a quick overview of what Hivery Promote is, it's a tool that allows category brand sales or revenue management teams to generate smart promotional calendars in minutes, so not weeks, by learning from previous demand signals such as product catalog promotions, product placements in stores, and seasonality, while understanding business constraints. Using world-class technology originated in Data61 CSIRO laboratories, Hivery Promote allows users to manually run scenarios, as Mel mentioned, but soon it will be able to optimize and let the AI determine the ideal trade promotions for the full suite of products using a friendly user interface. And that's our world's first. So that's Hivery Promote in a nutshell. What aspect do you think are often overlooked when designing a promotional calendar? With the old school way of doing things, there's a great deal of calculations to determine the financial impact of a promotional calendar. And we often cut corners and look at just a single lens. And so in the food industry, we actually need to look at the outcome that appeals not only to the shopper and not only to our brand, but also for the retailer. And so we can't overlook those three lenses when we're determining the impact of a promotional calendar. The other component is the execution elements of a promotion. So sometimes they're equally or even more important than the price discount. So planning the catalog, planning the in-store display and the communications aren't just icing on the cake, they're pivotal to the results. Mel, so in your own words, can you describe what features Hivery Promote has that makes it different? Yeah, so it has the dynamic price elasticity modeling, the prescriptive promotional calendar that optimizes KPIs, an interface to allow us to visually see the impact the promotional calendar will have on our business. And having worked with Hivery Promote for three years, has it proven itself? In the test and learn methodology that Hivery has, we've continued to prove its worth at every step as we've scaled it up to the full model. What is your personal opinion about Hivery's approach to this particular problem? 
When we were getting ready to record this podcast, we were reminiscing on the journey that we went on together with Hivery Promote. And I feel so privileged that I was in the room when the first AI promotional calendar was created. It really is the future of promotional planning for the food industry. Hivery Promote, it's really come a long way since then, but the solution is a perfect balance of being intuitive and easy to use, also having elasticity models that refresh with new data and scenario modeling that's really powerful and unmatched by anything that a team of people can accomplish. So Hivery Promote is just one example of an application that allows businesses to keep mathematics close to their decision-making and operations. But if we take a step back and look more broadly, why is it important in general to keep mathematics close to the business? Yeah, I've learned time and time again in my career that there's no point having a fancy mathematical solution if it can't be explained to the rest of the business We need the maths to be complex enough so that we can have a quality answer, but it needs to be easy to explain and translatable into the actions we need the business to take. A bit earlier, we discussed external events being one of many challenges retailers face today. So when it comes to predicting and assessing the impact of such external events, can mathematics help? Yeah, it's such an important question at the moment. It's times like these that our collective experience and intuition within the business really comes to the fore. But as I mentioned earlier, using data and insights to find clues as to where we could adapt our plans to just deliver on consumer needs that little bit better could really amplify into great business results. From your point of view, are there any technical topics that people starting a revenue management career should put special attention to? I love this question because I'm so passionate about helping people with their career and helping them to reach their full potential. I think there's probably two lenses to look at this question. And the first one is from an education perspective. So whilst there isn't a revenue management degree as such, there's definitely areas of study that are really helpful. So statistics and marketing research, microeconomics, change management, and any sort of analytical process or consultative thinking are some really key areas. It's great to have a breadth of experience in your career before you step into a revenue management role. So a background in both sales and finance are really great foundations to step into a revenue management career. It's amazing to see the overlap in thinking in regards to what skills younger generations should be paying special attention to developing. And we recently recorded a podcast with Dr. Toby Walsh, a world-renowned expert in artificial intelligence. And we discussed what would be the most important skills for future generations to develop in order to be prepared for essentially the fourth industrial revolution and his three key points were data skills, creativity and emotional intelligence skills. And this is the best proof that there are global trends and people in different industries with different roles think the same way. Isn't that great? And revenue management is quite an emerging discipline. And so maybe some of that similarity is around the fact that revenue management teams 
are usually trying to push the business to go to places where they haven't gone before. And that probably has some links to that idea of the fourth industrial revolution as well. Earlier, you also mentioned that you're really passionate about people discovering their potential and moving forward in their careers. What about it that makes you passionate and it being also rewarding? I just think that it's a really great opportunity to amplify what you've learned in your career. So me as one person, I can achieve what I can do within 40 hours a week, let's call it 40 hours a week. But if you have an impact on others, then what you've learned and the experience you've had can really help the business to have an impact across more and more people in the organization. And I see it as my my role to really drive that impact across the organization as much as I can. Of course, because instead of it being a linear curve, it just becomes exponential. There you go. Yeah. Bring it back to the mask. <laughs> <laughs> and there's definitely smarter people around me than myself. And so there's better ideas come from collaborating as a group as well. Exactly. So it's always useful to bounce your ideas around smart people. Lovely. And just maybe to, to recap the conversation, uh, what is one question you wish people will ask you more often? Uh, well, especially at the moment, being at home all the time, uh, I really miss the question, can I buy you a coffee? And that links back to what we've just talked about, career journeys and helping people just to discover their career journey. But also, there's so many good things you can learn about people and how we can work together when we just stop and get out of the day-to-day and have a chat over a cup of coffee. Absolutely. But on the same note, it can be rather hard to start these conversations, especially when you don't know what to ask. And with our day-to-day life being so consumed with day-to-day activities, so how can one come into such conversations prepared to make sure the time on both sides is respected and used most effectively? I think that anyone who's an expert in their field does want to share their knowledge with others. And if you just ask the first question, the conversation flows. And a couple of years ago, I challenged myself to reach out to someone that I admired very much. And I expected that I wouldn't get a response and I expected that it would be just me reaching out and into the ether and nothing would ever happen. But actually the person responded within a day and we had a great conversation. She actually also came and spoke at my organization as a favor as well. And I think it's just asking that first question and you can really get a lot out of that. You've always got to make the time, right? And dear friend of mine, he just told me he's got an action on his to-do list that he's going to call three people a week that he doesn't need to work with that week. And I think that's a really great way to think about keeping your network active. And maybe you could challenge yourself one person a week that you don't even know and see what happens from there. Absolutely. And I think now with more people working from home, 
it almost has become more approachable to start reaching out to people who you don't happen to know or people who you haven't met yet in person because expectations are just different these days. Exactly. It's good to have a interruption from the intensity of working at your desk nonstop. Well, I hope we'll get to meet one day in person. <laughs> I will invite the coffee that you're requesting, Mel. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if you come to Melbourne, let me know and we can grab a coffee. Your request will not go unnoticed, Mel. <laughs> we took a note. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We briefly touched on one of our recent episodes featuring Dr. Toby Walsh, world-renowned expert in artificial intelligence. It has two parts, and if you are interested in the future and relationship between AI and humanity, I highly recommend for you to check them out. So stay tuned and till the next time, everyone.